0: Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed, and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Thanks again to you guys for joining us, Doug and Shahan. Big Wednesday pod for the first time in season, Shahan. What we're going to do, keep it, it's the same format we were doing in the preseason, but there's more to get to, more to talk about. We're going to rank everybody. That's the second part of the show always. We're going to rank everybody, and we're going to give our rankings of the contenders. And we're going to rank them on how they played. That, that I think you said, Shahan, in our rankings, we want to be open to sort of overreacting, but there was a phrase that you sent me on text when we were talking about it. What was the thing? Was it a, it was, it was a have a nice day? Something like that, very
1: pithy, just a quick little thing. Yeah, it, it's based on what they did on the field. And yeah. so this week especially there's going to be some weirdness, right? Like this is not just going to go in, at least for me, I can only speak for me. I haven't seen your rankings as yet, but it means that some teams that I'm still very high on are going to be very low in our rankings. And uh, that's going to be the fun of this. That's going to be what's uh, what's cool about all this. And uh, and hopefully week to week, you know, when we get more information We'll be able to judge more information. I don't want to come in with assumptions. We, we got all these great sources, obviously, that we ranked everything in the preseason. we have all these great sources uh, of preseason rankings, of uh, SP+, all this sort of stuff, right? I don't want to look at that. I only want to look at what happened on the field. Uh, and yeah, it'll make for some fun, especially early in the year. I think I've talked about this in the past a little bit.
0: I was an AP voter once upon a time, and that is how I did it. Honestly, I remember one year Houston when Kevin Sumlin was there, Houston beat somebody pretty good in week one. And I think I had Houston like second or third in the country. And I think <laughs> I think somebody might have asked Kevin Sumlin in a news conference, like, oh, what do you think of that? And I think he might have been like, I don't know what that guy's talking about. Like, he didn't even want my vote. But I did <laughs> I've I voted the way that you just explained, Shahan, and people around America hated me. <laughs> There were message board threads about what an idiot I was. And I was like, uh, I'm just trying to go by what happens on the field. Sorry. And people were like, no, no, you must go by perception and assumptions. What is this performance style of voting? So I'm glad. Well, I feel good about that. We're going to do it this way. So we'll do that in the middle. At the end, we're going to kick somebody out. Maybe. We have 10 teams in our playoff mix right now. We're never going to get above 12. So uh, there are going to be points where we're going to have to kick somebody out. And just because yep. you get kicked out one week, you can come back to next, Jahan. And like, I'm okay with some fluidity in our weekly rankings and fluidity with, hey, this team, we didn't believe in you. We kicked you out because we wanted to talk about somebody else, but you can earn your way back in,
1: right? I mean, that's that's part of what we're going to do here too. Fluidity of the in and out. Yeah, no question about it. And so just because you're kicked out one week, like you mentioned, it's not over. It doesn't mean that you're out of yes. the playoff. It doesn't mean that uh, that we won't talk about you anymore, but... We're going to be strict. You know, if, if you don't deserve to be here, we're going to let you know it. And so we are going to try to welcome some
0: teams this week. We sent out to the Texters four possibilities of teams that could join our group of 10. That's Iowa, who beat Indiana 34 to six. It's Texas, who beat Louisiana 38 18. When I thought some people maybe believed that was going to be an opportunity for Louisiana, which is a really good program, to get a big win. It's UCLA which beat LSU 38-27, and Penn State, which beat Wisconsin 16-10. We have text voters in or out on all four of those teams. But Shahan and I are going to decide, first of all, who's the team we think deserves to be in now that we're going to put up. And Shahan, you're going to start with it. Who is the team of those four that you would add to our playoff mix and why?
1: I knew that this was going to be a good Iowa year but I don't think that I expected them to look so good so early and what they did against Indiana, obviously multiple interceptions. I think it's three interceptions that they had a couple of pick sixes. 34 to six was the final score of that game. I mean, I still think Indiana could have a good year. I still think they can finish ranked in the top 25 and Iowa made them look like a JV team. Uh, their offense is you know, their offense looks in a really good place right now. Defensively, they are monstrous. Like, I I did not expect Iowa to look this good. And the other thing, too, that I think adds to this as well is that when you look at the rest of the Big Ten West, there's nobody else out there that scares you very much. So I think that it's very possible that if Iowa were to go and win this game that we talked about yesterday on the Tuesday podcast against Iowa State, they have a really good shot at the playoff. I mean, they could go through the season 12-0, 11-1. They could obviously have to play Ohio State in the, in the, the Big Ten championship game. And if they won that game... I mean, I think that's the path. So I think that they deserve to be in this discussion. We did not have a second Big Ten team in our group of teams
0: going into the season. We didn't even talk about one. And we kind of were saving the Wisconsin-Penn State game for that because we thought it's possible that those are the second and third best teams in the Big Ten. They're going to play in week one, and the winner of that game will get in. And that was kind of in my head going in. And I did think Penn State had a chance to win that game. At Wisconsin and they did but that's not the team I want to put in because I want to put in Iowa too Mm. I think they have a really I they're a lot like Iowa State they have I think a quarterback who can make some plays but is not a game breaker but is like a veteran that you believe in I think Tyler Goodson at running back and Brees Hall at running back for Iowa State are certainly in the same vein of running backs and then they have a defense that will be all over you. And Riley Moss two pick sixes for Iowa in that game. The first one crazy stuff. Little luck, right? Ball hits the receiver in the chest and the second one the the thing I was really looking for defensively this week Shahan was was defenses that were taking smart risks, making plays, breaking on balls, reading quarterbacks, that kind of thing. Go watch the second pick six, which is right Indiana got Blitzed in the first four minutes. But Indiana is trying to get back in it. And Riley Moss, pre-snap, you can watch him. He is staring. He is looking straight at Michael Penix. Michael Penix takes the snap. Riley Moss, in off coverage, takes a half step back. And then immediately starts driving on the ball. Because he knows this out route is coming. He jumps the route, picks six. It is an aggressive. It's film study. It's athletic talent against a good quarterback and it like put the game away. Yeah. So and that and then you add good offensive line, a couple playmakers, a quarterback who I think can run the show. And Iowa is the team for me too. And <laughs> I just don't I don't feel like Penn State or Texas or UCLA, UCLA I think is in range. I think UCLA would be the second team that I would add to that. Cause I think there's a lot of similarity there running, running backs to believe in a scheme to believe in a quarterback that can get it done. And that's a pretty good win at LSU. Although as you've, as you said, how good is LSU? So we're in agreement here, Shahan. And guess what? Well, wow. So are the texters. Wow. How about that? We put it out and said, which of these of the four UCLA, Texas, Penn state, Iowa, which would you put in ranking them against each other? And it was really close. 34% said put in Iowa, 32% said put in Penn State, 27% UCLA, and 7% Texas. So before we move on to, listen, we, we're going to officially welcome Iowa in here in a second. We're going to have a two contender showdown of names this week. What, why do you think more people weren't in on Texas? Listen, Louisiana is a ranked team, and Texas rolled them, and they've got a Heisman candidate in Bijan Robinson. Why didn't Texas get a little more
1: support in a vote like this, Shahan? I think that Texas proved that they belonged convincingly in the top 25, right? Like, I think that they clearly proved that. um, You know, but Louisiana is a really good team, a really, really, really good team. And I think it's very impressive what Texas did against them. But I don't think it compares to a Wisconsin, a, an Indiana, a Penn State. I, I don't think it quite reaches that level. And so while I was very, very impressed by what I saw, I think that there's just more that Texas needs to do before I can really consider them a contender. I mean, they can be a really nice 9-3, and 10-2 team and still have won this game, right? But I... I need to see more. And I think that the textures do as well. And the other thing that I'll mention is that I, I we talked about it on this program that that Penn State-Wisconsin game was probably going to produce a contender. I didn't see enough. I didn't see enough. I thought that Iowa looked very dominant against another, again, top 20 team. And I do think that Wisconsin is probably better than Indiana. So it's probably a more impressive win for Penn State uh, just in terms of the quality of opponent. But, I mean is that offense really going to go and beat Ohio State? Is that offense really going to go and, uh, I mean, dominate every week, week to week? I mean, what happens when they go against some of the better offenses in the Big Ten? What happens when they play other great teams? And I will say, too, with Penn State, they will have a chance, I think, to get in because they do play Auburn in Week 3. So if they look dominant against Auburn, and Auburn's not great this year, but like if they look dominant against Auburn, they play Indiana, and they actually play at Iowa on October 9th, there's going to be a couple opportunities for them to get in. But for me, the team that proved it was Iowa. Jahan Dotson
0: for Penn State looked like he lined up behind the Wisconsin secondary on a couple snaps. It was just like Sean Clifford back to pass. There's Jahan Dotson, 14 yards behind any Wisconsin player. Did
1: I you just call he, him Jahan Dotson?
0: <laughs> that, I feel like that should be a thing on like, make that your guy on CBS Sports. Jahan <laughs> and Jahan doing their thing. Uh, you can do a little separate podcast each week. I might have that's
1: how much you're on my mind John. <laughs> well I, mean, that, I got a new way to explain to college football people how to say my name I guess <laughs> Oh yeah that's right that's right yeah just drop it a couple
0: one-handed catches in a 100-yard <laughs> receiving games, and people will know how to name say your name for sure So I think Johan Dotson might be like the best playmaker in the Big 10 outside of the Ohio State receivers that guy is legit. You could, Sean Clifford hit him deep a couple times. Noah Kane popped a couple nice runs for Penn State. I think you can see the pieces there. They've got some playmakers on defense. Joey Porter in the secondary is a playmaker, a couple linebackers who are playmakers. Jaquan Brisker makes a great read on a throw late in the game to sort of put it away with like a just a, a grown up safety play that I don't know how many other guys in the Big Ten make that play where. The back stays in the backfield. You have some floating ability and you make a read and intercept the pass sort of off the ball. So I can see the pieces for Penn State. If you wanted to put a team in just on pieces, I could see it. But Wisconsin ran it, right? They ran it as usual, but Graham Mertz did not look like the Graham merch, I think a lot of people are still waiting for. So that wasn't as impressive where as Iowa did it to Michael Penix, where Michael Penix has already shown it. So right, I'm, right. I'm with you. I If you had brought up Penn state, if somebody else would have brought it, I might've gone, I might've voted yes, but it can't yeah. be the team that I bring up. So right. we are all united on Iowa. Iowa was the top vote getter. And then individually to be prepared for all four of these teams as a, on an up down vote Iowa, should they be in the discussion, 54% yes, Shahan, 46% no. So that is a unanimous welcome to the discussion group. The Iowa Hawkeyes have joined the playoff conversation. Look at that. Which is crazy because that now means we have two games this week as of right now. We now have 11 teams in our playoff conversation and two, and then we have two games where they're playing each other, Oregon at Ohio State this week and now. Iowa and Iowa State doing it in Ames. The other teams that did not get in, Penn State was the next closest. They were 54% no, 46% yes for the Texters. UCLA, 63% no, 37% yes. And Texas, 81% no, 19% yes. So all of us kind of in the same range. Iowa, yes, Penn State close, nobody else yet. We have expanded to 11. And I do think in the end, Shahan, you know, it it probably makes sense to get a second Big 10 team in here at this point. And I feel good with the idea that at least as of right now, Iowa is that second Big 10 team.
1: I I guess uh, I I do have to mention I'm wearing a Texas t-shirt right now. So I'm so sorry to any Longhorns that are around just, uh, you know, expecting to get their name added to the playoff discussion. I I tried my best, but, uh, you know, not really.
0: It, it feels like you're just trying to get free t-shirts now. Are you going to be? <laughs> oh, th-
1: this was one of those when I worked at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. It's a great shirt from home field apparel. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see what Iowa does the next couple of weeks because they do play at Iowa State. They play at Maryland, which you, you mentioned the, the Penn State playmakers. Maryland has some playmakers. They they looked real good against West Virginia. They will play against Penn State in a game that probably will decide uh, a team that's in our contention conversation But then they don't have to play Ohio State until the Big Ten Championship game. So I'm excited to welcome. I think they very much deserve to be here.
0: So we are now at 11. And when we come back on the other side, we will rank those 11 playoff contenders, the teams deemed worthy in our discussions. What do we think of them in order one through 11 after week one? We'll do it next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan back on the College Football Playoff Show. We'd love to have you guys as text subscribers. 817-442-6789 get you in. You get to ask questions. You get to participate in surveys like the one we just had. Listen, you guys shape the conversation. You guys decide the teams, help decide the teams that we talk about. You, you listeners, if you're a tech subscriber and it's a buck a month, you're on equal footing with me and Shahan to decide who the best teams in college football are. And I also have some ranking stuff from the tech subscribers. And I also have some kicking out stuff from the tech subscribers. We'll get to kicking out later. Let's get to rankings now. We now have 11 teams, one through 11.
1: Shahan, who is your team number 11? Again, I got to clarify with this, right? This is a week-to-week ranking. This does not mean, for example, that I want them kicked out of the rankings by any means. But I don't know how you have anyone but Iowa State 11th after what they did against Northern Iowa. Only a 16-10 to 10 win. Looked really, really inconsistent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I don't ever feel like they were in super danger of losing that game. I always felt like they were the better team. But like, yeah, you're playing Northern Iowa. You better be, right? And so I, we talked about it a little bit on the Tuesday show. But uh, I'm not super concerned about them long term. But I mean, how can you have them anything other than 11th right now?
0: This was this was hard for me to wrap my head around sort of sticking with week one performance, right? And so I, if I redid my rankings in the next two minutes, I might change my order. We had some concerns about quarterback play. So I don't have Iowa State at the bottom because I feel like Brock Purdy, when they needed it, made a couple plays, especially with his legs. Xavier Hutchinson was there, made a couple plays. And as much as it, as much, see, now I'm going to contradict myself. Can we, (laughs) Jacob, leave this part in. Now I'm just bragging because I've done a podcast for years where we don't have an editor. And I'm the, I'm, we're our own editors. We have an editor now. So now I'm going to talk to the editor. So you guys know that like, we're doing it real on here. Jacob, leave this part in. I'm just talking to you. Great podcasting. I'm giving Jacob credit for being a great editor, but I almost want to take the contradictions out. It's like, you know how you go through, sometimes you take out the ums or you take out weird little clicks. It's like anytime Doug contradicts himself with his thinking and there's no logic, there's no consistent logic, just take that out. And then it would be like an 18 minute podcast. (laughs) I don't want to hold Charlie Kolar's absence against Iowa State, that their great tight end didn't play. But I am kind of holding preemptively the possible absence of Kayvon Thibodeau against Oregon. So Iowa State for me is ninth. I don't disagree really with anything you said. We had a big Iowa State-Iowa discussion on the Tuesday pod, but I have Oregon last because I am almost preemptively preparing and I would never vote like this in the AP poll because I do think people sometimes preemptively started to like get ready to have teams lower. And I'm like, why are you just go by the results on the field? But we're trying to sort of overreact here without Kayvon Thibodeau. I thought Oregon and Fresno state looked equal. Yeah. Yeah. So he has an ankle sprain. He's day to day. And I just, I expected a little more from the rest of that Oregon defense, which does have some really talented players flying around. I didn't get, but in talking about, I briefly mentioned quarterback there. We talked about two guys at the bottom of our quarterback ranking. And it was Jack Cohn of Notre Dame and Anthony Brown of Oregon. And when you compare what they did in week one, Jack Cohn threw for 300 plus, had some iffy moments too, right? But made some plays. I didn't feel like Anthony Brown did anything. except. On a fourth and two option play with the game on the line, he kept the ball and ran for a 30-yard touchdown at the end of the game. I didn't think he made a play with his legs or his arm the rest of the game. Threw for like 170, had a couple times where on like third and long, he took a a route in the flat or a check down and just accepted a four-yard gain on third down when you need it. Did not give himself or his teammates a chance to make a play which just, when you're talking about high-level playoff contender football, worried me a little bit. Johnny Johnson, their receiver, made a couple plays, decent run game. But just without Thibodeau, there was such a lack of explosion or danger on both sides of the ball. It just felt like, oh, this is a cool, even game with Fresno State. And if that's what you are when one player comes off the field, and I know he might be the best player in college football, but I have a hard time with it. I have a hard time with it, especially when you're not sure if that guy's going to play this week. So this might be unfair, but I just had a nagging feeling watching Oregon and I had him 11th.
1: Yeah, I have them 10th. Uh, everything you said is true. I mean, once Thibodeau went off the field, I believe that they let up 18 unanswered points against Fresno State. And like Fresno State's a good defensive team. So like, it's not a huge surprise to me that their offense had some growing pains, but it was that defense. that That's really what did concern me. The fact that apparently it's so built around just one guy and you mentioned, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau hopefully going to be back this week for Ohio State. But like, this does feel like maybe the last time we're going to see this team in the rankings, right? Like, it feels like they're about to get wiped off the planet. And then what? I, and I will say, right, I, I don't think that Oregon losing to Ohio State in itself will get them kicked out of the rankings. But if they don't look like that caliber of football team... I don't think we're going to have a choice, and I'm very worried that that's going to be the case. So I have them tenth.
0: And please, 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 I fingers crossed for Kayvon Thibodeau playing. Yes, I mean that yes. would be a great matchup against the Ohio State offensive line. But it was he got hurt. I think on the first play of the fifth series, Oregon was ahead fourteen nothing. Fresno State's first four possessions were two fumbles and two punts with Kayvon Thibodeau yeah. <laughs> on the field. And then once he left, and then he came back a little bit, but you could even see his get off on the line. He didn't have it right. the foot was bothering him. I think Fresno State scored on five of its next six possessions. So with him, nothing. Without him, they scored almost every time. And one of those fumbles was him just coming off the edge and hitting the quarterback and forcing the ball out. So that's how much he matters to them. So I have Oregon 11, Iowa State 9. You have Iowa State 11, Oregon 10. Yes. My number 10, and I was getting a little vibe on you. You might have influenced me on this. I, I was not quite as down on Iowa State because I did think their defense played well, and Brees Hall was a little banged up, but they didn't have their tight end. I have Notre Dame 10th, but yeah. I, I feel... A little bad having them 10th because I do think to some degree they answer their biggest question, which is can their quarterback make any plays? And I also think, again, in the realm of how good is Florida State, well, at least Florida State has a couple dudes. And yeah. so some of the Florida State dudes did some dude stuff. And if you believe in Marcus Freeman as a defensive coordinator, if you believe in Kyle Hamilton and that defense will get better, they did it. They were at least a little explosive offensively, but also. I don't know, is Florida State a 500 team and they almost beat Notre Dame. So I had
1: Notre Dame 10th. Yeah, the, the thing for me with Notre Dame is that I think that they proved that they're a really good team. But it was one of those things where like, I think that sometimes we refer to this kind of stuff as like game managing and stuff like that. It felt like they executed in a way that was less than how good they were. That That's a very inelegant way to put what I felt like I saw on the field. But I mean, this Notre Dame team... I, Early in the game, they looked so much better than Florida State, but the scoreboard didn't show it. You know, they just kept making mistake after mistake. They'd let up a big play. They'd have a turnover on downs. It just felt like they couldn't capitalize on their advantages. So I'm not like especially down on that performance. And I think that part of it is like, man, Florida State's a really tough place to play. And I think that they are starting to get things together. But you can't make this many mistakes when you're playing against good teams. You just can't. And so that's what's concerning to me. I do feel like I can attribute some of it to just first game stuff. Like, I mean, again, it's week one. We don't need to overreact too, too much to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was pretty impressed with Jack Cohn. I thought that he looked pretty good. Uh, his connection with Michael Mayer, the tight end, looked really, really good. And uh, and I felt like he looked pretty good, even though his receivers didn't always do him a whole lot of uh, of help. So, you know, generally I'm okay with Notre Dame, but I, I also had them ninth. So I think that there's a clear bottom three this week, at least for me, Notre Dame, Oregon, Iowa State. Uh, you know, the, the team that we're going to talk about next is also kind of right on the edge of that, but uh, but that would definitely be my bottom tier. We have the same bottom tier. And I, do, I
0: don't I do know if we give Notre Dame extra credit for, like, giving people a nice primetime game that everybody was jacked up about. Like, it was a fun game to watch. Credit to Florida State and Notre Dame for making that happen. But I do... It could have been worse for Notre Dame. Yeah. They could have lost, but also they could have come out and had Jack Jack Cohn look like, well, that's not right. it. And, and and to his credit, like that wasn't what it is. And you can see, again, Michael Mayer, That I mean, he got open right away, right? There was that kind of a busted coverage and he's wide open. And some of these teams with these tight ends, man, I mean, it's always the same thing, but, but they know how to use the tight end. And Jack Cohn got the ball to some of his good guys and made it happen. We have the same bottom three.
1: So who's your eight? My eight is Oklahoma. So I'm not super worried about this. Again, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on the Tuesday show. I'm not super worried about Oklahoma, but like they do take on the personality of their quarterback at times. And this quarterback Spencer Rattler is, I mentioned the best in college football, but he gets real lackadaisical. He gets real laid back and he gets real kind of loose. And I think that you kind of see the rest of the team follow at times. And to me, this game was not as close as 40 to 35. I mean, they were up pretty big early in this game and, uh, you know, kind of more let Tulane back into it after a pretty dominant second quarter. So I'm not worried about it long term, but like based off of this week, I don't know. I mean, it it was just it was a bizarre performance to see them only score three points in the second half. You know, obviously defensively, they had some real lapses both at the beginning and at the end of the game. So it was a five point game. I mean, clearly Tulane could have won this game. I never really wondered whether Oklahoma was actually going to lose. But the fact that it was this close this late, I mean, I I don't know what that is. Yeah, they almost lost. They
0: almost lost – the other team had the ball down less than a touchdown driving in the final minutes. And so I don't – whatever happened before that, that was the case. Right. And the quarterback wound up diving a yard short of the sticks on on fourth and long. I have never seen a quarterback look as – it's like calm is the good phrase of it, is the good adjective. But almost disinterested – and obviously it's not disinterested – but when he looks so calm in the pocket and then hits a throw, you're like, this guy is unflappable. Yeah. And then he'll look the exact same way and just throw behind a guy. Yeah, And so there were times in the second... And he let them back in the game. And, you know, as you said, it's it's uh, a 37-14 halftime score. And Tulane comes right down the field and scores. And again, it, it they sort of they were at times where Spencer Rattler and the Oklahoma defense were interacting in the worst possible way. Like Spencer Rattler would kind of have like a, a, sort of a sloppy drive for no reason. And then Tulane would capitalize, but Tulane comes out fourth and seven. They hit the tight end on terrible coverage and eventually get in for a touchdown to make it uh 37, 22 Oklahoma comes out and they just have a handoff Rattler just kind of throws it behind a receiver on second down. And then he has like a scramble where it's like, I don't know. He doesn't, he, it's like, he doesn't really, he never really had a chance to get it. Why is he scrambling? And they punt and like, or they, they end up kicking a long field goal when they felt like, okay, it's time to answer. They kick a long field goal. Then Tulane again comes right back, right? And then Rattler again, is sort of like throwing off his back foot for no reason. He He's still, I don't know if it's an Oklahoma thing. I actually wanted to ask you about this, Shahan. Baker Mayfield's rookie year, first or second year in the NFL, a lot of times in Cleveland, we talked about him sort of drifting in the pocket for no reason, and that he would sort of fade to his right, even like the kind of way you would do to fade away from pressure and make a throw, but he would do it even when there wasn't pressure. I saw other people on Twitter talk about this. Rattler fades in the pocket sometimes, that he is just drifting backward with no real pass rush and throwing off his back foot. You can go go watch his throws. And again, he threw for 300 plus yards. The number of times where he does not step into a throw and it's all an arm throw and he's either flat-footed or even leaning back, again, two-thirds of the time he rips a 25-yard completion between coverage on those. But there are other times where he sails a ball, he's behind a guy, and it's like, why didn't you step up and throw it? Does, does he just have a little bit
1: of that in his pocket mechanics? So, and not to go on too big of a digression about this, but, you know, I think with Baker, a lot of it was, you know, I mean, he's a smaller guy. Everybody knows that. And he's played behind some gigantic offensive lines. So I think part of that for him was kind of fading out to try to find windows, you know, try to find kind of a clean pathways to see down the field. And especially with these Oklahoma receivers, when they're bunched up on one side, I think there was an inclination to kind of move towards them. Whereas with mm. Rattler, I think that Rattler's maybe just a little too confident in his arm because he has honestly one of the craziest arms I've ever seen. I mean, I'm not, it's not Mahomes, but it's, it's up there, man. It, it is way up there. He throws the ball effortlessly. And I think that sometimes he's just too confident that he can get the ball anywhere that he wants, anytime he wants, and that he doesn't have to try. And, uh, you know, so from that perspective, I mean, that's the sort of thing that you just have to drill down, right? Like if you're Lincoln Riley, you have to be like, hey, look at this dumb throw that you made because you didn't just set up and throw it. Like, if Spencer Rattler just stood in the pocket, like you mentioned, and just made a throw, I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody better in college football. So it'll be something interesting to watch. I mean, a lot of uh, the one thing that you say, right, is you survived the game. There's a lot of tape that you're going to go back and look at. And uh, and hopefully for Rattler, this ends up being a learning moment for him. But yeah, I mean, it, it, to go up 37-14 at half and basically be like, all right, the football game's over, like, I I don't know. That can't happen. I, I wasn't, again, I, I feel like I'm not super worried about it long term, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's going to be teams that are going to be able to take advantage of it better than Tulane, so we'll have to see whether that ends up costing them at some point. He's the quarterback I still would take against
0: the Alabama-Georgia or Clemson defense. Yes. Right, if if it's like, which is – Both of us in our preseason picks did not have Oklahoma as the number one seed, but we had Oklahoma winning the national championship because it's sort of just get through. If they can get through, that's the quarterback you want to see who has a shot against the best defenses in the country because he's going to have nine Georgia guys in his face and he's going to look exactly the way he looked against Tulane in week one, which is like cool. Right. Whatever. I'm good. Which when he's floating unnecessary picks against Tulane drives you nuts. But when he's floating touchdown passes with three Georgia defenders in his face and putting in a type window, you're going to be like, that's the only guy in the country can do that. So he's the reason Oklahoma can win the national title. So we are nitpicking him a little bit right now. But also it could have been worse. They were up 40, 28 late. And they get in a situation where he throws another pick. Right. And it's ruled pass interference on Tulane and it wipes out the pick when it was clearly pass interference on the Oklahoma receiver. <laughs> but the other thing that I didn't like is Oklahoma also did not make winning plays at the end. So that should have been his third pick. It wasn't Oklahoma keeps the ball and the kicker who had made two 50 plus field goals up 14 with a chance to make it a three score game. misses a 31 yarder Tulane comes down immediately and scores. So the, so Rattler gets lucky. He does not make a winning play. Kicker does not make a winning play. Defense does not make a winning play because Tulane marches down and scores immediately with just over two minutes left. Onside kick, Oklahoma flubs it, Tulane recovers. Special teams does not make a winning play. So that's all, every component of Oklahoma's team combined in the final six minutes to keep Tulane in the game. And on top of Spencer Rattler making a couple iffy throws, I didn't like that, Shahan yeah because it's like that's who's gonna step up and be the wall. there was fo- finally Oklahoma's defensive line on the last possession stepped up and said, okay, we're gonna shut this down. But until then, everybody was was working together to keep Tulane alive. That said, I had Oklahoma fourth. Yes. because I probably was incapable of doing what you did, which I'm disappointed in myself because I think you are closer to right here. If you're talking about how did you play, but also Shahan, when the good is good, when Nick Benito is getting off the line before the ball is snapped with great get off and burst and getting in the backfield when the offensive line is opening holes, when Spencer Rattler, and here's the thing to just, uh, watching the Ohio state game, for instance, CJ Stroud did not make a throw in the middle of the field, the whole game, Spencer Rattler is middle of the field window, throw, after throw, after throw, after throw, after throw. He's like, Oh, 19 yard throw down the middle. In front of the safeties, behind the linebackers, I'm good. And so then he misses a couple of those, but he made so many of them. You could see the difference. What's the difference between the way a team schemes for a veteran quarterback versus for a young quarterback? Lincoln Riley has every route available to him, and and Spencer Rattler will throw any of them at any moment. So you still really, really, really... There were enough moments where you saw the Oklahoma upside, for sure.
1: Yeah, and the good news, too, is that Oklahoma, this upcoming week, gets one of those tune-up games against a lesser opponent as they uh, as they go and play against the University of Nebraska. So, you know, easy enough.
0: They, that was good. They go from from the really, really tough test of Tulane, <laughs> of no joke, to a team with an incredible lack of talent and poor coaching, which is Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Don't let Trev
1: Alberts I, actually see Willie Fritz. I, I think I'm wrong. I think they actually play Western Carolina this week. It's week three. Whatever they they uh in week three they get another <laughs> they get an easier. You were bonus. so eager for the joke. You jumped Ugh. a week ahead Jump, on the joke. Jump the joke. Jump the joke. Whatever. It
0: still stands. It is Western Carolina. <laughs> I think so. Okay, you had Oklahoma eight. Yes, I had Oklahoma four. Okay, so I will give my team number eight, and this is my least sure thing it's the team that I kind of watched the least they beat a team they're supposed to beat I'm actually going to lean on you for the better analysis here I did not know where to put them so I put Texas A&M eighth and I, I didn't know what to do help me
1: yeah so I have them seventh and I think that you're absolutely right for me this Oklahoma two lane game was a game where it was like okay Oklahoma was better and they just stopped playing better and with Texas A&M Kent State and Kent State's a dynamic offense so a lot of this I think was decisions it was decisions to keep the ball out of Dustin Crump's hand that's the great quarterback for Kent State but this was a 10-3 game at halftime it was a 13-3 game halfway through the third quarter and the only reason that it switched was because Leon O'Neill, their safety picked off a pass and took it back for a touchdown and then the floodgates kind of opened right so like I was not impressed whatsoever with this. I know the final score ended up being 41-10. to 10. It, it wasn't a close game, and, and it wasn't a close game. I mean, Texas a m of course, a a much better football team, but I was not impressed. Uh, you know, Haynes King throws three interceptions in his first start. This is all stuff that I feel like is going to get worked out. I'm, I'm not super-duper concerned about it, but it was just ugly and it felt like it didn't need to be ugly. And the other thing too, that I'll throw on top of that is that, and I don't want to compare these teams too much, but like another game that was going on at the same time was like Auburn Akron and Auburn, like their quarterback, Bo Nix just had like the greatest game of his entire life and they just demolished them. Right. So like, and Kent state's a much better Mac team than Akron is. But it was just hard not to see that that almost comparison happening side by side where Auburn was going up like thirty-five to zero and AM was up like ten to three. And so again, nothing long term I'm super concerned about here, but like that again, it's the opposite of that Oklahoma game where Oklahoma goes and is up by a lot and is, is the better team. And a and the whole game, it's super duper tight when it really shouldn't have been, and it ends up looking pretty good, but I still don't feel especially good about it. I mean, they had a breakaway touchdown from Devona Chan, uh, you know, to kind of put that game away late too. Like, it was it was a lot of just like, for, for lack of a better phrase, it was a lot of almost like fluky plays and just being explosive and being better, almost like, uh, you know, what we kind of talked about with or what we'll talk about with Ohio State kind of at the end there. They kind of made the game look better, even though it was a lot closer than it was.
0: Okay. That's good. That, that helps me. Yeah. Because I just, I didn't, I did not get, I think there were multiple teams we got better handles on from week one. Yeah. Even a team like Oklahoma, it's like, okay, does that mean Oklahoma is going to do that every week? No. But you can see how it might get away from them if it does get away from them. Right. Right. But you also see the tremendous upside when Spencer Rattler could flip a ball 50 yards and, and look like it's taking a walk in the park. I need more from from Texas A&M with a new quarterback to get a real feel for who they are. So I had him eight, you had him seven. So this is now, uh, this is in range, I would say, of teams that I feel good. Again, I didn't know what to do with Oklahoma. I kind of chickened out with Oklahoma. <laughs> so my number seven team, I would say I do feel good about, I just have them at the bottom of my range of the team still. So I have Iowa seven. Okay, And it's everything we talked about with Iowa believe in the defense, believe in the offensive line, solid quarterback, good running back. They know who they are and they had a really good win. We're talking, we're getting in range of like some upside talent stuff where it's like, well, you know, are they as explosive? Tyler Goodson had a great run early, right? And they can be explosive with what they did defensively. Are they going to be as explosive across the board defensively as some of the teams ahead of them? Are they going to be as explosive offensively as some of the teams ahead of them? No, I don't think so yet, but We both have Iowa ahead of Iowa State on our list of what we're thinking about them after week one going into this matchup. So I have Iowa seven. Where'd you have Iowa?
1: Yeah. It turns out that so far we are, we have the exact same rankings except for that. You chickened out on Oklahoma because I have Iowa six and everything that you said, I mean, they obviously had one of the best wins in the country this week uh, and looked very dominant doing it. I, I think it's fair to ask about their explosive upside, but to me, that's not going to become an issue until they literally play Ohio State in the Big T- Big Ten Championship game. Like, that's the first time that you really have to ask that question. Maybe to some extent against Iowa State, but Iowa State isn't a super-duper explosive team either. So uh, I had them six. I thought they looked very impressive. They definitely were, uh, you know, because these, these top five teams, other than, I mean, I'll say Clemson, right? Clemson obviously loses a really tight game. The, the rest of them, I think, looked really, really good in week one. And I was kind of that first team where I kind of flip, Uh, my rankings where I kind of go from the teams that struggled to the teams that looked really good. All right. So we're in agreement
0: on Iowa. We've already talked a lot about Iowa team number six for me. And I'm curious to see where you have this team. This is where I put Clemson. Okay. And I put Clemson here because they couldn't run it. And DJ Uyungle looked a little young. Now their defense was great, but also Georgia was missing a bunch of playmakers. And I think, Any team, even a team as talented as Georgia, if you're on like playmakers four, five, and six instead of one, two, and three, which is what their offense was, you know, like I understand why Georgia's offense struggled, that that was not just the Clemson defense. And I still think there was enough of a little bit of a significance. Clemson, 180 yards on 60 plays. Clemson averaged three yards per play. That is not much. And Georgia, 256 two hundred fifty six yards on 61 plays, that's 4.2. So that's not much either, but that's a little bit better. Clemson sacked seven times. I think there are reasonable questions. Everybody does with the Clemson offensive line. Joe Engada looked like a dude at receiver. He made some plays for him. Justin Ross coming back was not as involved. I don't know where they go with the run game. And I am not taking the Clemson loss as only, well, that Georgia defense is awesome. Nobody's going to score against them. I think there are real Clemson questions with this offense going forward. And I don't have as many questions about the offenses of the teams I have ahead of them. So I have Clemson six now, and it's not just because they lost, because I think I might have Clemson six on a list like this for a while.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I still had Clemson at four, uh, you know, we're going to talk about, I think, a team obviously that is in that conversation in, in just a second. But, you know, with Clemson, like it was a 10-3 game. It was one of the closest games of the weekend. It was a one score game against a team that I can assume that both of us have at, at worst top two in the country right now. Like it was a dogfight. That, that's just what it was. And the difference in this game was, you know, a pick six. That's That's what it ended up being. So I'm not super worried about Clemson in terms of like whether they're a playoff caliber team, uh, I do think that their path just got a lot harder and not just because they lost to Georgia, but also because the rest of the ACC looked awful. (laughs) And I think that that's going to really affect their opportunities as they try to go 12-1 and and make the college football playoff. But right now I I still have them four because I still think that their performance was still very good. Their defense looks awesome. Their front four looks absolutely fearsome because we talked about a little on the Tuesday show. Like I think that, Georgia's defense did a really good job against them. But I mean, I <clears throat> I think that, that Clemson's defense just caused them some real issues. And like, I think that's a testament to them. And I don't think that anybody else is going to really be able to do much more than what Georgia did. I have more long-term concerns
0: because to me, when we did our quarterback rankings in the preseason, JT Daniels upside. He's a veteran, played the last four games last year. Five-star guy. We all know the JT Daniels story from USC. But I could see, well... Spencer Rattler's going to do more against a defense like that. Bryce Young the way he looked in week 1 is going to do more against a defense like that. Another guy that we are going to talk about in a second, I think could do something against a defense like that that whereas because again, Georgia wasn't itself offensively. Georgia was a wounded offense. And I don't know that Clemson was a wounded offense. I think Clemson is just a a, a lacking offense. And so I do have legitimate concerns about potentially Clemson being one of these teams, which we occasionally see in the SEC or the ACC, where you are lights out defensively. But if you don't win 13-3, to you might not win. If your defense gives up 17, you might be in trouble against a decent team. I think we could be entering that territory with Clemson. Listen, DJ is extremely talented, and he's going to get there. But I don't know if I mean it's possible this is not a one-game maturation process for DJ Uyangalale. It's a one-year maturation process. And we go into 2022 saying, like, oh, you know, he learned a lot from that nine and three season, but now Clemson is ready to you know, whatever. And this might be their little down between, you know, Trevor Lawrence won a national championship his first year as a starter. Like, that's not normal. No. So maybe that's not where Clemson is. It's this, it's DJ's first year as a starter. Maybe they have a little dip here. You know, not five losses, but they, I think they might lose two or three games. And I think that's 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 the reality I'm trying to reflect by having them ranked where I have them. So you have Clemson four, I have Clemson six. That means we probably have the same team at number five. Who do you have?
1: I've got those Cincinnati Bearcats. They went up 42-0 against Miami of Ohio. And this is what you're supposed to do against a MAC team if you are a college football playoff contender. They looked awesome. They were absolutely fearsome on the defensive side of the ball. uh, Miami's quarterback completed nine of 28 passes for 109 yards. That is putting a man in absolute hell. And then on the other side, Desmond Ritter, fantastic, fantastic game. 20 of 25 passing, 295 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Like, I think that there's an argument. Uh, It's early. It's early. That was a game against Miami. But I think that what we saw from Desmond Ritter here... I feel like he is starting to make a case to be in that Heisman conversation. Now, there's a there's a lot that has to happen for that to happen. But, I mean, he looked really, really good. He looked good passing the ball. He looked good running the ball. Uh, there's going to be tougher tests, obviously, against Notre Dame and Indiana that I think maybe he can actually make some, some real headway. But, like, Cincinnati looked good. And I, I think, yeah, right now they deserve, uh, in our rankings, to be number five. If you try to compare it, and there, you know, again,
0: Miami of Ohio is not playing Miami, Florida like Bama did or the Clemson, Georgia game. But some of these other teams, the way Oklahoma looked against Tulane, the way Texas A&M looked against a Mac school, like some of these other teams, Cincinnati just took care of business. And you're looking for something when, especially in the non-Power Five, it's just constantly what translates, what translates, what translates. Desmond Ritter translates. I thought he played the best of any quarterback in the country yeah. in week one, even, even Bryce Young. Four touchdown passes, one touchdown run a lot like Spencer Rattler just completely looks completely in control in the pocket at all times. And then as a threat to take off and do something, but didn't seem to make the unnecessary mistakes that Spencer Rattler made. I think Ritter threw kind of one interceptable pass maybe, but looked really good. Jerome Ford at running back over a hundred yards, broke tackles translated i thought right they're like okay well, that guy's not just looking good running because it's a mac opponent i think that guy can do it against higher level teams and then again the secondary which we've already talked about in the preseason when we put cincinnati in this group secondary translates i could see that secondary giving bryce young trouble giving spencer rattler trouble giving cj stroud trouble i thought it was all legit and To me right now, they look like a better team than Indiana and a better team than Notre Dame, the two teams they have to beat to to stay in this discussion. And if I was going to pick it today, I'd pick them to win those games. And when you have some other teams struggling, they have to go undefeated. But if they're undefeated and they look like this, they are going to be right there in the playoff discussion in a more real way than they were last year. When people in the committee especially had a hard time getting sort of their hands on them. What are they for real? I thought Cincinnati really helped itself because ever I mean, it's an audition every week for Cincinnati and they aced their first audition and I thought it looked real.
1: The one thing that I'll say that I think is going to really, I, the one reason that I think that Cincinnati's a minor loser of this week uh, is not anything to do with how they played because they looked awesome. But Notre Dame playing close against Florida State and nearly losing and Indiana getting absolutely wiped off the planet mixed with also, the middle to bottom of the American athletic conference looking just horrific Tulsa losing against an FCS team, uh, South Florida losing 45, zero to North Carolina state. Like the margin of error just got even tighter in some ways for Cincinnati. Now we've talked about it. We feel like this is a legitimate playoff caliber team potentially, depending on how things go this year, but they kind of needed every break and it's only week one, a lot's left to happen. And hopefully Notre Dame can play their way back. But, uh, not a good start. Not not a good start for sort of their surrounding context.
0: It's a great point. It's a great point. They did their job. The rest of their schedule did not do its job to help Cincinnati. We have both had Cincinnati fifth. You have Clemson fourth. I have Oklahoma fourth. But we have the same top three teams. And I'm going to assume that means we have the same team at number three, which is Ohio State. That's correct. Is that correct? That's correct. So I, Ohio State, it's funny. They get out first. They're losing at halftime, and if you had said at halftime in the Minnesota game, oh, Ohio State's going to be number three in your first rankings in the playoffs, you'd be like, oh, my God, did everybody else lose? That They were, for two days, sort of the victim of the first team to not look great all 60 minutes against a mediocre opponent, and then a bunch of other teams came out and did very similar things just like Oklahoma did and Texas A&M did and Iowa State did and a bunch of other teams did. So then in hindsight, Ohio State, you go back and it's like, oh, well, actually, they have the explosion. It is going to be very hard for anybody to cover Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. They are an answer to almost everything. And they have this freshman running back, Travion Henderson, who broke off. Listen, that game was right there. Fourth quarter, Minnesota's only down seven. It's third and five at their 29-yard line third and five if they don't convert Ohio State's going to be punting to Minnesota Minnesota down a score with plenty of time and instead they call up a little screen CJ Stroud flips it right over the defensive lineman and Travion Henderson the five star freshman does the rest and puts the game away it was in the balance for a while Shahan again trailing at halftime and Minnesota stayed in that game in the second half but what they do well great offensive line two incredibly explosive receivers and if they play i'm a running back who has a chance to be explosive too Their are off their offensive skill guys solve almost everything
1: so this is kind of fun right because i while obviously i've watched national college football for a long time like i've, I've typically been like a big 12 slash sec guy right like that's kind of the background that i watch most i haven't watched as much big 10 football as, as uh, most of the listeners to this podcast Is there, like, and and so watching the Big Ten just top to bottom, right, it's just kind of like, man, so Ohio State just has some guys that are just going to run away from some guys who can't catch them, and it doesn't really matter what they do other than that. There's nobody else in the Big Ten, and I include Iowa, who I think is extremely good, Uh, there's nobody else in the Big Ten that just has anything like that. Like, they, they are a you know whatever they, they are in Alabama they are a whatever where they just have these receivers and nobody else can match up with it like and so while this weekend in, in in some ways that Minnesota game uh just even watching the game was like man I can't believe it just came down to oh they had better players for like four plays but like right that's gonna happen every week that's gonna happen every week and so I don't know it's I definitely uh I definitely, after Thursday, thought that they'd be lower on this list, but then it's just like, man, who, who's going to take advantage of that? Nobody. Nobody in the Big Ten is able to take advantage of that. They're not going to really get any sort of challenge to those receivers until they make the college football playoff, which obviously we both expect them to make. So, yeah, that was, that's honestly the biggest takeaway for me for Ohio State from this weekend is, man, there is just nothing else in the Big 12, or in the Big Ten rather, that can possibly keep up with this.
0: And you can see, again, sort of talking before, Spencer Rattler, guys like that making throws in the middle of the field. Bryce Young made a few, too. C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, completed 13 passes. Six of them were behind the line of scrimmage. Bubble screens to Wilson and Olave, the screen to Trayvon Henderson. Three of them were big play deep balls. Garrett Wilson was open by seven yards on a post for a 50-plus touchdown. Chris Olave was open by 10 yards on a sideline route where he caught it and then ran the final 30 yards. And Olave had another big one, where, again, he ran all the way across the field. It took forever for the play to develop, but that offensive line can give C.J. Stroud that protection. So it was six easy throws, three big-time throws that you've got to make them, but also they weren't windows, right? And then he only completed four of their passes. So there, I have some questions about C.J. Stroud, but they know how to make him look good. He threw for 294 and got it done in the second half with big plays because – But we're not judging only quarterbacks, we're judging teams. And Olave and Wilson are a pair, unlike anybody else in the country, has a receiver, which we knew when we did this on – we ranked receivers on this podcast, I think, in week two. And it was obvious. And that's just going to continually get Ohio State over the top probably until they get to the playoff and and you find somebody who can cover those guys.
1: Yeah, next week uh, I'm going to have to text in a question of why literally nobody else in the Big Ten is allowed to have a good quarterback or good receivers other than Ohio State. Let me tell you, Shahad, you are now (laughs) – it
0: is it really difficult to sometimes to judge Ohio State because they do not face quarterbacks who test them. Yeah. That they yeah. just don't. They have such a, an advanced quarterback edge almost all the time that then it's like, oh, they're playing Trevor Lawrence. It's like, okay, I have no idea how this is going to go because <laughs> they have not seen even a guy who's half of Trevor Lawrence right. the whole year. So it is, it is really something. It's getting better maybe, but we thought Graham Merch was going to make it better in the Big Ten. Borderline five-star recruit, not yet. J.J. McCarthy's a five-star freshman at Michigan. He got in late against Michigan and made the most diagonal deep ball throw I have ever seen somebody make. He threw it like 60 yards down the field and from one sideline across to the other. Crazy throw. Drew Allers, a recruit that is a a Cleveland kid that Penn State has in its class for right now. He might be an answer, but you just look at the other teams. Spencer Petras at Iowa, they're just trying, it's like game manager stuff. Graham Mertz at Wisconsin, not getting it done. Sean Clifford at Penn State, very limited in what he does. You know, it's just you go across the board. Michael Penix is supposed to be the guy. Mike is throwing a pick six in the first half to sort of kill his team, right? I mean, it's it's not it. It's just not the way it is in the Big Ten. Let's get to the last two. And I, it's like, we don't want to not spend time on this, but it's pretty obvious. It's Bama and Georgia in some order. Who do you have one? Who do you have two with Bama and Georgia?
1: Yeah, I have, I have Alabama one. I have Georgia two. Uh, you talked about it yesterday. Maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction to Miami not being that great a team, but the level of dominance on both sides of the ball was just insane, right? Like Alabama just scored at will. Bryce Young looked like the best quarterback in college football yesterday, like or on Saturday. I don't even know what day it is. It's been a long weekend. Uh, and, you know, with Georgia, a lot to like, I think, maybe the best defense in college football, if not, you know, top three at, at absolute worst, uh, completely had Clemson in hell. Uh, the the thing for me though, is that I did not see what I needed to see on the offensive side of the ball to kind of say, okay, this is the number one team in the country. And w- when both of us have uh, Georgia as our number one seed, potentially heading into the college football playoff, if th- some things work out right, um, you know, so this is not us saying that it's over, but I do think that Georgia needs to show me a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. And and they can do it against some teams that aren't as good as Clemson, of course. They're going to have a couple opportunities to do so. But because of how complete Alabama looked, I have Alabama one. I have Georgia two. I have Georgia
0: one, Alabama two. So I'll mostly talk about Georgia. They lost an offensive lineman, Tate Ratledge, for the year with a foot injury. They'll have to replace him. I know we're basing it on week one, but I'm, I'm taking part of my evaluation into they did it without their best guys. Even, even Jermaine Burton, one of their good receivers who did play, wasn't himself. So they're missing like three legitimate receivers and their tight end, and they've had a receiver play who wasn't himself. And I just think there's going to be a lot more there. They could run the ball. I like their running back combination. And I think they're going to get fixed on offense in a big way. I really do think they have a lot left when they get healthy on offense, whereas I think Clemson is not in that same category. So I think there's a lot to believe in with Georgia. There's a decent number of their defensive guys who I think are still kind of new to this and are only going to get better. You know, N'Kobe Dean was all over the place and he was a good player last year. He looks like the Buckus Award winner right now, right? Like that guy, if that guy, if he's going to be Roquan Smith, it's like, okay, well, and here we go. There's going to have, they're going to have some guys emerge defensively. I think that we don't even understand, I don't think, how good Georgia's defense is yet. So I feel really comfortable having Georgia number one. I think that was a taste of what's to come. And I think it was good enough on its own merits have them number one in my ranking based on on-field performance, but I think offensively they're half of what they might be. And I and I just think they, they, they have a lot of potential with a lot of production. So uh, in the end, very very similar rankings, as you said, where we have the same top two. You have Bama one, Georgia two. I have Georgia one, Bama two. We both have Ohio State three. I have Oklahoma four. You have Oklahoma eight. You have Clemson four, I have Clemson six. So our biggest disagreement is sort of judging very talented teams who probably weren't their best selves. How much do you ding them for that in week one? We both have Cincinnati five. You have Iowa six, I have Iowa seven. You have Texas A&M seven, I have Texas A&M eight. Uh, You have Notre Dame nine, I have Notre Dame 10. You have Oregon 10, I have Oregon 11. You have Iowa state 11, I have Iowa state nine. So all in the very same range, it does feel like at the moment, Georgia and Bama are cut above, those. Sean,
1: Yes, no question about it. Uh, you know, and I think Ohio State can definitely get into that group with another good performance this week against Oregon. But, I mean, those two teams just, just looked like killers. Just looked like total, total killers, like playing against pretty good competition. Uh, there were no questions for me coming out of both of those games about whether these teams were playoff caliber. And... I, I don't think you could say that about anybody else. I don't. I don't think it's fair to say that nobody, anybody else looked kind of uh, as complete as those two teams did. So it's going to be a tight race. I think that the SEC made a really good case to get two teams into the playoff. It's only week one. A lot's going to happen. A lot of teams are going to lose. But you know, if we do get down to this last situation, which we kind of did project of Georgia maybe going against Clemson for this last playoff spot, both as one lost teams, maybe Georgia's a non-champion. They're going to have that tiebreaker, right? They played this game on the field. And so I, I think that Georgia and Alabama are both in tremendous shape heading into the into week two of the college football season. Texters agreed with you. The question I
0: asked, I said, Shahan and I will rank the contenders based on what they did in week one. Which team would you have at the top of the rankings right now? 83% wow. Alabama. 83% Alabama. 13% georgia so i definitely got outvoted on that
1: one is the other four uh, ohio state <laughs> it's always the other force
0: ohio state again for people we still have a lot of ohio people listening to this podcast and we love each and every one of them thank you everybody from ohio who's listening to this but we sure if tell your friends if you're not from ohio tell your friends so we round out the national vibe <laughs> on this here but that's even a lot of ohio people giving that respect to alabama and georgia yeah. all right when we come back We're going to be done for now with the personal questions at the end because we have a thing that is going to be a permanent part of this podcast on the Wednesday pod from now on. Should we kick out one of our contenders? 11 are in right now. Will there still be 11 by the end of this show? We'll find out next on the College Football Playoff Show. and Shahan, 817-442. Six seven eight nine. That's the number if you want to sign up for the texts. Shahan, I think you made a good point early. I could hear you mentioning it when we ranked our teams. Just because you have a team at the bottom of the rankings doesn't mean that's the team that you think should be kicked out. If you think a team should be kicked out, we're never going to go above 12. So there will be weeks maybe when we let a team in and that gets us to 13 and we have to kick somebody out at the end. This is an if.
1: We kick somebody out. Do you want to kick someone out, Sean? I don't. I don't quite as yet. I think that there are a couple teams that got real, real close to there. But I think right now we're going in with 11. I'm willing to forgive a couple of week one mistakes. But I can tell you right now, week two, we're going to kick some teams out. I mean, there are just too many good matchups to not. I think Oregon's right on the edge for me there. I think Iowa State, obviously, based off of how they played in week one, uh, they'd be kind of on the hot seat as well. Notre Dame, kind of on the hot seat as well. So if any of those teams had actually lost their games, I think that we'd have to kick them out. I don't think we'd have a choice. We don't have to do that right this second since we're only at 11 teams. But uh, all three of those teams, I think, entering week two, for me, are on the hot seat.
0: So let me talk podcast logistics, which, again, is great podcasting. I don't really want to kick out two and three teams at a time on the show. I would rather kick out one team a week, which leads me to kind of wanting to kick a team out now, because I would rather, for the purposes of this, I would rather kick a team out now that I'm pretty sure we're going to kick out next week so that we then would have room to kick out somebody different next week. Because I believe in Oregon a lot less than I did going into this week because the Kayvon Thibodeau hole is so gaping. I was not impressed with the offense. Listen, if they beat Ohio State, they'll be the first team back in next week. Great, congratulations. Right now, again, like it felt like an equal battle with Fresno State for the last three quarters of that game. I don't think they're the best team in the Pac-12 right now. That I think, you know, we talked about letting UCLA in. And if we kick Oregon out, that means right now we don't have a Pac-12 team. But I think we could get a, a different Pac-12 team back in very quickly. I just think they're really limited in their quarterback play. And I'm not exactly sure what's gonna get better about that. I I do I do not believe in Oregon very much. They were the last team in my rankings. I would kick them out. We asked the Texters, though, Shahan. Which team should be kicked out? And we gave them four choices. And of the 10 that we had, and I thought there were six of our contenders that no one's kicking them out. The four choices we gave were Iowa State, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Clemson. Those are the four. Let's at least think about kicking them out. Oregon was last in that vote, which shocks me. Iowa State, the leading vote-getter in kicking a team out. 39% want to kick out Iowa State. 25% want to kick out Notre Dame. 20% want to kick out Clemson. And 16% want to kick out Oregon. That shocks me that there is, that, you know, that many more people don't believe in Iowa State compared to Oregon right now. Maybe they're just taking the Thibodeau injury into full account. And if he had played the whole game, it would have been a different game. That's fair. That is fair. But we also were talking about what did happen, not what might have happened. So I would say the Texters don't want to kick Oregon out. I don't think there's another team worth kicking out. I do want to kick Oregon out. So we're putting it on you. <laughs> I've made my case for kicking Oregon out because I think if we kick out of Oregon now, we very well might kick out the Iowa Iowa State loser next week. I don't really, I don't want to get in the habit. I'd rather have, I'd rather that we keep it to losing only one team per week. So I'd rather get clear the deck of Oregon so we can be prepared because somebody's going to lose that game next week. And I'd rather do Oregon now rather than do two next week. So it's just, it's just on air podcast logistics. (laughs) Again, this is something it's like, we should be having a meeting off air. Oh, should we take out one this week or two or whatever? Doug wants to get rid of Oregon almost preemptively. And then if Oregon wins, I will lead off next week with the biggest apology ever.
1: <laughs> well, here, here's one advantage that I didn't really think about Oregon having when it comes to comparing themselves against these other teams. Uh, I'm pretty sure that game was on the Pac-12 network, so nobody listening actually watched that football game. I had to go find it on, like, the illicit highlight channel. <laughs> like, that. Was, does the is the Pac-12... Is that only available in the Pac-12 offices? Where is that network available? I, I don't know. I certainly don't have it. Uh, like you said, I had to go look up YouTube stuff after this game. Uh, yeah, hey, if you didn't watch that game, go and find it on YouTube. It is bad. It is really bad. They were clearly a step below everybody else. I, oh man, this is tough. Let me let me make my one last case. Okay. I have a
0: visceral reaction to a good team that is in a tight game throwing six yards short of the six on third down. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know why you're playing. It's right. third and 10. You just threw a four yard pass to the flat where you didn't even look at another receiver. Why are we even playing the game? It's third and nine. You checked it down when there really wasn't even any pressure there for a three yard game. What are we even doing? <laughs> why are you settling for a punt in a game where you need to score points, where you have a chance to lose? The visceral reaction I had to that just makes me think Oregon is, does not have the explosiveness to remain in this discussion. Bryce Young would not have checked that down. DJ would have fought his butt off and not settled for that, right? I just, it, it, it made, I can't, it's like, you don't deserve to be here right now. I'm not saying you're a terrible team, but I don't really want to discuss you within this other group of 10 when that's how you're playing offense against Fresno State. And that's not about your defensive end being out. That's about your offensive identity when you're supposed to be a team that is in a discussion like
1: this. (sighs) So here's the last thing that's going to go into my consideration is that I think you're right. I think that there might be two teams in Los Angeles who both might be better than Oregon. And I think that both of those teams will have chances to potentially get into this conversation very quickly. And the other thing, too, is that Oregon, like you said, does have a way to play their way back into this conversation. And I don't even think that they have to beat Ohio State to do it. I think that they just have to keep it really, really close. So with all that said, see you, Oregon. I
0: don't mean to celebrate a team being kicked out, but uh, here's the thing. Like you said, if they beat Ohio State next week, they'll be the first team we put back in. If they hang with Ohio State, we will be—they will be right on the precipice—and they can work their way in in a couple weeks. But I am not going to feel bad not discussing them for a while, right? That's the thing. It's like I—I don't. It's not going to feel like oh man, we're something's left out of this conversation that we're not talking about Oregon because it just feels like that quarterback situation, right? That quarterback situation just feels like it is holding them back right now. Anthony Brown wasn't terrible. He just, he just looked limited, and, I don't, and it's not because he's young. Because, I mean, he, he has, he's maybe rusty. He hasn't played in a while, and I get that. I get that. But we're talking about the 10 best teams in college football, and Oregon is not one of them right now. We are back to 10. We were briefly at 11. We started with 10. We went to 11. We're back to 10. Oregon is out. And that's how we do it on the College Football Playoff Show. Welcome to Iowa. Goodbye to Oregon. We hope to see you again. Best of luck. I'm going to see Oregon in person this weekend. And Kayvon Thibodeau, I hope he plays. That is the matchup I want to see. Best of luck to him. Best of luck to Oregon. Go out and prove us wrong. Ducks, go do your thing. That'll do it for the Big Wednesday Pod. We appreciate you guys for making it part of your week. Tech subscription, it keeps us in your life all week. Not in an annoying way, but just like in a, hey, what's up kind of way. Little tidbits of info. You get to ask us questions. That's what we do on the Tuesday pod. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. And then the surveys where you help shape the show. We kind of did override you here, but I think, again, you guys didn't have Oregon higher on the kickout list because you didn't watch it. Go watch it. Fair enough. Brilliant strategy by George K., commissioner (laughs) of the Pac-12. That's a Larry Scott special. That's a Larry Scott special. (laughs) They're gonna the UCLA LSU game is just on a loop <laughs> for like four straight days. It's this is us, ninety six straight hours. Yeah, <laughs> that's who we are. Well, the other game we lost it. Ah, the the tape room caught on fire. We lost the Oregon game. Um, all right, thanks to you guys again for being part of it. Follow Shahan's coverage at CBS Sports, where he is tearing it up on a daily basis, writing about college football. Follow our Twitter account at CFB Playoff Show. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was the College Football Playoff Show.